on. Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 11. And our text this morning is going to be Romans 11. We're going to start in verse 33. <clears throat> going to continue reading down to verse 8 of chapter 12. Uh, this should be a familiar passage to most of you. Um, if you've been with us for a while, it should, be, it should certainly be familiar to you as it's kind of that verse that drives what we do here at Trinity Grace. So if you are able and willing, as is our custom, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Romans 11, 33 to 12, 8. This is the Word of the Lord. <clears throat> oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you therefore, brothers. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy... With cheerfulness. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, we thank you for this is indeed your word. Would you now take your word and meet it with your spirit in our hearts? Mold us and make us into the men, women, children you've called us to be. In my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. And Lord, this day, would you exalt the name of the living Christ? Give me wisdom. Allow me to communicate your word to this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, we're beginning this morning a five-week series surrounding our By Faith initiative. And you may ask, well, what, what is that? Well, it is a time, let me put it this way, it is a time where we're going to ask the Lord to give us wisdom we're going to ask the Lord to encourage us, to strengthen us, and maybe even to stretch us as we consider, as Stephen just prayed, enlarging and expanding our present facility. You know, brothers and sisters, we all come at these types of things a little bit differently, don't we? To projects like these or initiatives like these. And some... Some come to these things with great excitement because these types of things really kind of light the fire of some people. They like having a purpose and a goal to, to go after. And so some are really excited. Some, some maybe, if we're being honest, some with, with some apprehension. 
What's it going to mean for our church? What's it going to mean to kind of the direction of our church? Is any of that going to change? And some maybe, if we're being honest, might even come with a little bit of skepticism. Maybe even a little bit of suspicion. What is this all about and why are we doing these things? And then others, others again, come with great expectation. What's the Lord going to do? This is going to be exciting to see how the Lord will provide. And all of those things are to be expected because we're all different. We all have different backgrounds. But allow me this morning to be very straightforward. God has blessed this church and her ministry. We, and when I say we, I don't mean me. I don't mean me and Brandon or me, Brandon and Bill. I don't mean me and the elders. What I mean when I say we is guess what? You. So maybe better put, if I say you instead of we, you need more space. You've let us know that. You've asked us about that. Because living things are growing things. And living things are good things. And we, you, are growing. And praise the Lord. Our praise and our thanks ought to be directed toward Him. And we aren't engaging in this for the purpose of a physical building. That's not our end. We are engaging in this for the sake of people. For us. And for you. For those. And for those who God will fold in to this church today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. And so over the next few, five weeks, yes, beginning today, as part of our initiative, we'll, we'll be encouraged and reminded of, of why we're doing what we're doing. But because the purpose of this is to further the reach of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, rest assured we are not going to take a break for five weeks and simply talk about the initiative. We're not going to do that. No, for the next five weeks, we're going to do the same thing that we always do. We're going to preach Christ and Him crucified. Yes, we'll see what the Lord has to say regarding these particular areas of application and where we're growing and where we're going as a congregation. But we will not cease to faithfully preach the Word of God, exalting the name of the living Christ. For after all, that's our passion and we're not going to turn from it. As a church, isn't that our passion? And so why cease to do that? Why cease to take advantage of what we get to do on a weekly basis to speak about Christ and what He has done even for five weeks? Our mouths should never be shut from speaking of the wonders of the gospel of Christ. And yet, isn't it also our passion that others have that same opportunity to hear as we. For after all, we do all we do for His glory and for the good of the people.
And you know, once, about once a year, maybe once every other year, it depends. It's not every year, but pretty close to that. We take the time to be reminded from the scriptures of that which drives what we do as a church. If you're new to Trinity Grace Church, you might ask, why does Trinity Grace do as they do? Well, the passage that we come to this morning gives answer to that question. And at the beginning of an initiative like this that we're embarking on, it's important to be reminded that we carry out our mission by faith, trusting God for his provision, for he is our only hope. And over the five or over the next four weeks after today, we'll see how by faith we, we worship the Lord how by faith we serve the Lord, by faith we grow in the Lord, and by faith, yes, we also we give to the Lord. But today, we must start here, fundamentally, as a church, why do we do what we do? For the glory of God and for the good of the people. So let's look first to the glory of God, shall we? And let's just think about that short phrase for just a moment, for the glory of God. Let's begin with thinking not about our aim, but let's begin thinking about God's aim. Why does God do what God does? We ought to start with that question. Because we, can never, we can't even answer the question, what is it that we're to do, until we answer the question, what is it that God does? What's his purpose in doing what he does? And we must begin with that proper understanding that God does what he does for his own glory and unless we begin there, we cannot begin to understand how we do all we do for the glory of God. It must begin there, fundamental to our worship, fundamental to this church, fundamental to the Christian life is a proper view of God. Many who visit our church will often say something like, well, Trinity Grace, y'all have a high view of God. I hope so. I pray so. And shouldn't we? For after all, he is God. And this is not something that should distinguish us from other churches. But unless we understand and begin to understand the goodness of God, or maybe I should say the grace of God, the sovereignty of God, and all aspects of creation then we do not and we cannot have a proper view of God. Fundamental to our worship and to our life is having an understanding and a view of the Lord that leads us to a doxological response like Paul's here. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. And what, what drives Paul to that end? What, what drives Paul to give this beautiful doxology, that, that response in praise? Well, it's God's saving purposes. And, and moreover, how God has, has worked and arranged history so as to maximize God's own glory. 
He's done what he does to put himself on display. If any human were to say that, we'd say, oh, he's arrogant and he's prideful. But if God were to do that, what do we say? He's God. He's God. And he does what he does to put himself on display, to maximize his own glory. And again, if we go back and we were to read what Paul, what, what brings Paul to, the, to, to this climax is God's work in history to bring the salvation of sinners like you and me. And salvation is good for us, certainly, right? I mean, salvation is good for us. We're in need of the forgiveness of our sin. But salvation first brings glory to God himself. Back up in verse 32, Paul had said, he said, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he, have may, that he may have mercy on all. Why, does he, why did he consign all to disobedience? So that he could display his mercy. So that he could make his mercy known to people like you and like me. To put himself on display. God works in such a way to bring the most glory to himself. And, and as we, if we're looking backward in history, in this context as well, where Paul is talking about God saving not just one nation, but people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, that it's too, it's too small of a thing for God just to save a nation. But he must save people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Because why? Because that's what would put God on display. The Lord says through Isaiah the prophet, says it is too light a thing that you should you should be my uh, that you should by my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth when we hear Paul reach this climactic doxology oh the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God he is speaking about the salvation of God. He's speaking of God saving sinners like you and me through the blood of His Son. He's talking about the forgiveness of sin. How does God put Himself on display? By forgiving sinners like you and me through the person and work of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is overwhelmed by God's knowledge not just that God merely foresees what will happen, but that God in his infinite wisdom and in a wisdom that we can't even understand that causes us to just pause and go, I don't get it. But that God has sovereignly ordained whatsoever comes to pass. You see, this is that proper understanding of God. Paul understood that God before time began, chose him for salvation. And it causes Paul to wonder. And it should cause us to wonder as well, shouldn't it? You did not choose him, but he chose you. And that because of Christ Jesus. He, he chose you and me before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus. Before the creation of the world, he determined to give you Christ's righteousness and to give your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that'll, that should blow your mind. If it doesn't, then you're not really thinking about it. If it doesn't cause you to have those questions of going, how did he do that? If it doesn't cause you to have the question of going, how does that work with God's sovereignty, human responsibility? If, you're not, if you never struggle with those questions, you're not asking, those, you're not asking the questions. 
See, this is the grace of God for us as sinners. His judgments and His ways are perfect. He's perfectly just, and yet they are just beyond us. They're unsearchable. They're inscrutable, Paul says. How does God do what He does? And what's the answer? Oh, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. I can't answer all the questions, but I do see the wonder of God Almighty. That's what Paul's doing here. And then he goes on, he quotes Isaiah the prophet. And he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You see, a proper understanding. What I'm going to say right here is one of those things. This is a nugget. This is a nugget. It is very simple. If you know me well, you know that I like to think very simply. This is simple yet profound. Are you ready? A proper understanding of God is that he is God and you are not. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But it's also pretty profound. And you say, why is that profound? Because we struggle with it every day, don't we? This is what we struggle with, of submitting to the, to the, to the godness of God, if we can put it that way. Because we want to sit on the throne. We want to sit on the throne. God needs, it bothers us sometimes that God doesn't ask for our help and for our counsel and for our advice. His decrees are perfect. He doesn't consult with us. And that, again, that's a problem that many have with God. God, why don't you just do it my way? I I think I know better. I think I know better. Oftentimes we think we know better than God. And I tell you what, I mean, you know this as well as I do. We think we know better. We, We couldn't write it anymore. Over the last several weeks, several things in my family have been going on. And, and for some, they might say, that's really hard and difficult and all that. And Jenny, um, I don't even know if Jenny's here. She's been with her dad in Tulsa, who is presently dying. And so all these things going on. And, and yet at the same time, is it the way that I would write the script? No. But I can say this. I look back over the last five weeks of my life, and I wouldn't change a bit of it because of the opportunities that God has given to us to minister, because of the opportunities it's given to us to see His grace and His mercy and His love. God knows better than we do. We often don't think that, though. And that's an issue of submission, isn't it? That God is God and we are not. I mean, very practical application here, isn't it? Many of us... We've said over the past couple of weeks, I've said it on numerous occasions, we all want to be a servant until we're treated like one. Many of us don't really have a problem with submission unless we're asked to do something that we don't agree with. Do I need to say that again? Because that actually is the definition of submission. Many of us think we don't have a problem with submission unless we're asked to do something that we don't agree with. To do something you agree with is not submission, it is agreement. To submit, by its very definition, is to do that which somebody else says to do that we don't want to do or that we don't agree with. And that's hard, isn't it? It's hard. And we don't like to think about submission, whether it's in horizontal relationships or in vertical relationships, but because we've given up on it on horizontal relationships, we don't even talk about submission to the Lord Jesus anymore in our culture. But he calls us to submit. But 
Two, this is encouraging the fact that, I mean, we may, we may, come, to, we may come just like Paul to that end of, of, of thinking of the wonders of God and say, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable. How inscrutable. And we might come to that point and have, have, that, have that and go, I just, I, I don't understand the wonder of God, but just because we don't understand Him doesn't mean that we cannot know Him. Again, Stephen prayed, I think Stephen prayed even in the service that God had condescended to us in Christ Jesus. The fact that we can't know Him fully doesn't mean that we can't know Him. The fact that we can't know Him fully simply means that He is God and we are not. But we can know Him. We don't instruct Him, but He instructs us. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, and he quotes this same passage over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We don't instruct him, but we can know him. How can we know him? Because we have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit of God who reveals him to us. In that passage in Corinthians, Paul is again talking about God's wisdom, his decree before time began. And he says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. You see, the flesh, the flesh can't see or understand these things. In fact, oftentimes our flesh just rebels against those things. But Paul says those things are folly to the world. They're folly, foolishness to the world. But to those who know Christ, those who have the mind of Christ, those things that are revealed by the Spirit of Christ, they are then seen for the precious truths that they are, that we have a hope in the Lord Jesus. We have a future in the Lord Jesus. And so Paul continues. It's almost like Paul is just kind of, not to be gross, but it's almost like he's just vomiting praise. And that's exactly what he's doing. He keeps going. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid, he says. Well, that's that's quite clear, isn't it? Is there anyone who has ever given to God that which was not already his? I mean, who could respect repayment for such a thing? And and we might not think we do that. But I think we do. I think a lot of times we do for the Lord and we expect something in return. Lord, I was really good today. I was really obedient today. Oh, did you see what I did today? I I shared the gospel with somebody. What are you going to give me for it? I think sometimes we, we operate like that with the Lord. We give to the Lord and we expect something in return. Sometimes we treat the Lord the way that... I wasn't going to give this illustration in the second service, but somebody grabbed me afterward and said, you've got to use that same illustration that you use because it really ministered to my heart. And so I'll use it in hopes that it does the same. Many of us treat the Lord like we do our own loving fathers. And I remember when uh, my dad got me a car when I was 17, 18 years old. And before that, I just drove whatever was around. And it was a really nice car. And he probably sacrificed to get me that car quite a bit. And as we grew, as I got older, um, I tried to take care of the car. But of course, every once in a while, something would happen. But Eventually, I ended up wanting to sell the car because I wanted something different. I wanted a truck. So I sold that car, and I bought myself a truck. Do you know who bought that car? My dad. He bought the same car twice from me. 
the same car twice. And then you know what he did? Eventually, he gave me back that car. So he bought the same car twice and gave it to me twice. And I didn't think a thing about it. Not a thing. He didn't do that because I had done something for him. He did that simply because he loved me. Simply because he loved me. And that's what God does with his children, isn't it? And we want to be repaid. And then when he, when he does do for us, when he does do for us, and he does for us over and over and over and over again, we don't even understand what he's done for us. But he loves us as his own, his children. You know, many ministries will attempt to manipulate people with this very thing. You give to this, you give to that, and God will reward you. Will God bless you? Yeah. But it may not be in the way that you think. It may be some other way. Maybe spiritually. And certainly that's the case. We give not so as to get a reward. We give because it's commanded of us in the Scriptures. We give to Him because He asks us to. And all things belong to Him. So why wouldn't we give that which belongs to Him already? We forget, as David says in 1 Chronicles, that everything comes from you, and we've given you only that which comes from your hand. Everything comes from him. Everything comes from him. And we, I think we need to let that sink in a little bit, because it's not just our money. Certainly, sometimes we really struggle with that one, because that can be such an idol in our hearts and in our lives, but... But everything belongs to him. Even our spouses are gifts from God to us. Do, do we treat them that way? Or are you wishing that maybe you had a different spouse than you have? When we do that, we're sinning against our spouse. We're despising the gift of God. And what about even our children? Our children are a gift from the Lord. They're blessings to us. Do we see them as such? All is from the Lord. And God is so good, isn't he? He's been good to us as, a, as individuals, as families, as a church. And to him belongs the glory. And that's what Paul says next. Paul says next, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This, this is the, the end of that doxological statement. And the end of that overflowing praise, everything is about God and His glory. If there were anything that could be said about this church, it would be that. Everything is about God and His glory. Great. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we exist. That's why the church exists. To bring glory to God. To worship Him. To praise Him. Foremost as a people, this is what we're about why? Because it's what God is about. It's what God's about, and that's why we're about it. Albert Barnes says, The reason or end for which all things were formed is to promote His honor and glory. It's not to promote His happiness, for He was eternally happy. Not to add anything to Him, for He is infinite. But that He might act as God and have the honor and praise that is due to God. He deserves it. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians in that familiar chapter 10, he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's why we exist as individuals and as the church to exalt the name of Christ, to glorify God, even in all the areas of ministry that we do, because that's really what this is all about, isn't it? Whether it's our worship, whether it's our outreach to the community, whether it's reaching the world through missions, whether it's shepherding, discipling, whether it's practicing hospitality, whether it's our small group ministries, whether it's our church planting efforts, all we do is for the glory of God, and it's not for our own. In Brandon's children's sermon this morning, he'd asked me if he could do that with the brands and so forth, and said, absolutely. And part of it, I thought to myself, because it'll fit really well, because brothers and sisters, Every single one of those things that he gave to these kids was a brand. And when we do what we do, we don't want it branded with Trinity Grace Church. We want it branded with the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a big difference, big difference between the brand of these things and what God has called us to do as a church. It's not about the kingdom of Trinity Grace. It is not about our brand. It is about the kingdom of Christ. That's why we do what we do. And that leads us then for the good of the people and um, speed up just to hear here. Notice what Paul says. At, at, at chapter 12, and, and a lot of times we do, don't we? We come to the end of a chapter and we just kind of stop right there. And that's completely appropriate. It's fine. We've added the chapters and the verses and, and they're, they're good and they're helpful. But sometimes I think we can come to the end of what we've determined to be a chapter. And if we stop there without reading it, we miss the flow of it. And I think this is one of those places. Because as we come to chapter 12, as and I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Well, we, we have a therefore there. And when we have a therefore somewhere, what do we ask? What it's there for. That's right. These things go together, right? So all that Paul has said before, we now get to the therefore. It's based It's based on what Paul has been arguing already. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, because of the mercy of God, because because of what we've just read, therefore, now you do this. Now, if if you've read your Bibles a bunch, if you've been at Trinity Grace, you'll remember this is a familiar way that the scriptures are laid out. It moves us from the indicative to the imperative, right? The indicative. God indicates what he has done. And then because of what God has done, therefore, now you. So indicative to the imperative, he does the same thing here. This is what God has done. And now, therefore, I appeal to you. This is how you're to live. This is how you're to live in a way that also brings glory to him. We're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We're to, we, we're called to be different than the world around us. We are. And, and I know we, we sin, we fail, we fall. We do that. We struggle with sin just like everybody else. But there's a difference between us and the world around us. We have a Redeemer who not, only, who not only pays for our sin, but strengthens us to overcome sin. And so not only... Not only are we to live differently than the world around us, but we're also called to impact the world around us. Not by our own strength, 
but in the strength of Christ working in us. And how do we do about it? Paul helps us again. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. I mean, we, we, are, we are all different, aren't we? We all, we all come to an initiative like this, and we, we all come to it differently. We all have different gifts within the life of the body as well. We don't have the same function. Some are examples in service, and some don't have that particular gift. Um, some are, some are, are givers, and others don't have that particular gift of generosity. Others might be merciful, and some are not. Others um, might have the gift of nurturing children and gentleness, and others may not. But let me, let me pause for a moment, because I think sometimes we want to use that statement, like, I'm just not gifted in that, as an excuse. And you've heard me say numerous times, just because we've not been given the gift of something doesn't excuse us to then disobey God's command for how we're to live as his people. Just because you may not have the gift of mercy doesn't mean that, you don't have to be, that you're not called to be merciful. Just because you don't have the gift of generosity doesn't mean that you're not called to give. Just because, just because you don't have the gift of service that there aren't times when you're called to serve and to do so with joy as a privilege of a member of the body of Christ. We're to exercise those gifts that we are given for the good of the people, whether it's inside these walls or even outside these walls. But we use our gifts for the good of the whole, not for my own glory, but for the glory of God and for the good of the people. We're many members, one body, one body. And we use those gifts so that we, as this body, that we might continue to grow together in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, that we, that we might indeed joyfully serve one another within the body, as well as impact a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that's y'all's passion. Really do. And I believe it is. I believe it is. And let me allow this, allow just... Um, or would you allow me just to remind us of this? Not because we're not, not because we don't do this, but just as an encouragement, because sometimes I think it can be easy to forget this. I, 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 when I began, I reminded you that this is your church. It's not mine. It's not even the elders. It's yours. And in the same way, when we talk about our purpose, when we talk about our mission in this world, it's yours. It's not mine. I've not been put on this earth to give you a purpose and mission. Brothers and sisters, God has already done that. He's already done that. So we get to, together, partner together in ministry as we move forward. And I'm not talking about building a building right now. That's not even what I'm talking about. Now, does that impact the way that we do things practically speaking? Yeah, sure. Do we think that that might help us carry out? Yes, sure. But what I'm talking about now is what, what's our passion? What's our motive? What's our mission together? Do we, do we want to bring glory to God and good to the people? Do we want the saints to be strengthened and edified and nourished? And do we want the lost to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope, I hope that we all share that. And I think we do. I think we do. So that the mission then must be our mission, our mission, a passion for the glory of God, a passion that we would see others and hear others, hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus and come to the place where they can say, oh, the depth of the riches 
and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways and how inscrutable. Inscrutable. What does he say? I don't even have it. Hold on. Ways and what's the other one? He says, judgments. Unsearchable is judgments. Inscrutable are his ways. This is an appeal. This is an appeal from Paul to the people here in Rome, to the church here in Rome, to us. And it's my appeal to you that because of what God has done, because of the mercy shown to you, and brothers and sisters, present yourselves, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is Paul asking us to do? Paul is saying, give yourselves wholly to God. In every way. In every way. This is in accord with the word of God. Give yourselves to him. Because of God's mercies, give yourself to him. And, and this doesn't mean, this, and I know you know this because you've been taught this, this doesn't mean that that means you need to quit your job and enter into the ministry. No, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Some of us, a few of us are called to do that. But for the most part, believers are called to carry out our present vocations to the glory of God. In other words, don't quit your job, but do your job with a mind transformed by the Word of God. Do, do your job, do school. You young people, I said this in the first service, you young people who are still in school, you may be in school, you may be homeschooled or whatever it is. Have you ever thought about that? That your role in life right now is to bring glory to God in the station where you are. And for some of you, that means I am going to honor the Lord by doing the best that I can do and to bring glory to Him in how I do my schoolwork. Now, I know many of you don't think that way because I didn't think that way. But isn't that exactly how we are as believers to think and to live? That whatever I do, I do for the glory of God. With a mind transformed by the word of God. Not being conformed to this world. But do what you do as one who knows the mercy of God. And use your gifts. Use your gifts. Use them here in the midst of the body at Trinity Grace Church? Yes. Use them out there in the world? Yes. Different people with different gifts, and you do know your main influence and ministry. The, our main influence in ministry as a church actually takes place in you as you go out into the world. What kind of testimony, what kind of influence are you having in your walk in this world, by your work in this world? We come together to be equipped, strengthened, and nurtured, and then we go out. We gather, and then we scatter. We are members of one another, partners together in ministry. And each part of this body is important, and it is useful, and we are called to do so remembering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not our own works, not our own strength, but by His. Because it's God who gifts His people. It's God who loves us. I need to close here because we're about out of time. But let me, let me and, and I did this first service, and I think it worked well. If we continue with verses not, verse 9 through the end, I won't read all of it, but Paul goes on in verse 9 to kind of um, give a description or a mark of um, 
those who have experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to read these just simply as we close. And I want you to ask yourself, does this describe me? Not me, you. Does this describe me? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Does that describe you? Does it describe us? knowing the grace of the Lord Jesus, having our sins forgiven. May that describe us. May we desire to put the name of God on display, to bring glory to Him in all that we do. And, okay, I said I was going to close. I am right now. How did God really, ultimately, reveal His glory? Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you see that? This was to show His righteousness. This was to put on display His righteousness. And how did God do that? He did that at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. His glory revealed on the cross his glory for your good. So brothers and sisters, when we say for the glory of God and for the good of the people, we aren't simply speaking of why we do what we do, but more than that, fundamentally, foundationally, what we are about as a church is what God has done for his glory and for, what, and for your good. And what is that? The Lord Jesus to the cross shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins so that God may have a people whole and cleansed for Himself. Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, we thank You for this morning. And Lord, thank You for the, our attention. Um, that was long. Um, but Lord, that was, um, that was rich. Help us to, help us to kind of um, digest that a bit and may it change the way we live our lives. And we now ask that as we come to this, your table, that you would continue to encourage us of what you have done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.